podcast of Teach, Learn, Pima. I'm your host, Dr. Mace Imad, the Teaching and Learning Center Coordinator. And this semester, we will be bringing you excerpts of our Teaching and Learning Center sessions. And we will begin today with our facilitator of the first Friday session, Dr. Tria Allen who is a program manager for diversity inclusion in academic advising at the University of Arizona. She's also a proud adjunct faculty member at Pima Community Teach, uh, College, who um, teaches STU in the STU department, that's a student success um, department, and she is really an education activist. She works to ensure that all students, regardless of their start, have all the necessary skills to develop as scholars and achieve their goals, academic, personal, and professional. She is a first-generation student herself. Her academic advising and teaching philosophy is easily summarized by Septima Clark, um, who says, I believe unconditionally in the ability of people to respond when they are told the truth. We need to be taught to study rather than believe, to inquire rather than affirm. And to that end, Dr. Allen can be readily found with her nose in a book, in a library stack, or her favorite bookstore believing firmly in practicing what she preaches. Dr. <laughs> Allen, I am so grateful you are here with us today and um, hello. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for facilitating our first Friday session and for um, having this podcast for those um, faculty who are unable to make it in person. So today, so the, the title of your session mm. is um, Growing Capacity, Why Every Course is a Student Success Course. Absolutely. And I'm wondering if you could first um, talk to us about what a student success course is and why do you think every course is has the potential to be a student success course? So student success is the manifestation of like Pima's um, commitment to making sure that every student is college ready, right, or prepared um, to enter into whatever program they are and to actively learn um, and to like progress in whatever the, the student's um, goal is for their program. To that end, um, as a part of the whole pathway systems, you know, um, Pima decided, you know, every student really needs to have this course because we are, our student body is so diverse. They're coming from a number of experiences. So we have everything from, I haven't graduated from high school yet, or, um, but I want to take some classes to um, adult learners, right? And so we want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to go into a classroom and to not only use their experience, but partnering that with um, you know, college readiness skills. So think academic learning and um, skill sets, note-taking, reading, that sort of thing. Now, to that end, here's the thing. There are only so many student success courses, right? But it started to dawn on me that when I'm teaching in my class, 
These are things that we really can pair with any subject content. Like how do we teach students to access a textbook specifically around physics or chemistry, which is very different than accessing a reading like the Iliad or the Odyssey. So right. even though students like have, they can read, right? But can they access the content mm -hmm. between the lines? Mm -hmm. And so that is why I'm always like, you know, STU can't do it all, but we can partner to make sure every single class um, not necessarily has the potential, but is a student success course. How do we take a student from novice to not quite novice and prepare them for the next level? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I, I was really um, uh, pleased to, I attended your session and I was very happy to attend your session. And I was very um, pleased to, to see that you started with inclusion and your definition of inclusion, but you also had the audience, the participants, interrogate mm -hmm. what success means. Mm -hmm. and, and then you walked us through the diversity plan, you talked with us about um, what inclusion is, and one thing that struck me is you spoke about educational debt mm -hmm. versus achievement gap. And um, the way you framed it was, was really um, powerful in that we actually have a duty to pay back students as opposed to we want to fill the gap so mm -hmm. our school could look good, for instance. Absolutely. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit with us about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So educational debt is just a reframing and, a, and another way to see this thing we call the achievement gap. And so people have written about the achievement gap for a while, but what people may not understand is we are comparing groups of racialized communities, like students, children, right, from kindergarten on up through college mm -hmm. and any educational institution so we're comparing them to the standards of white students. Mm -hmm. Here's the issue with that, is that it's already steeped in racialized bias. Mm -hmm. Why are white students, or students who are codified as white in terms of race or an identity, what makes them the measurement mm -hmm. of student success? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about we want to close the achievement gap, we're not considering the systems, the years of like this kind of like, we Exclusion. can actually, absolutely, right? Yeah. And so we can even go back as far as, and this is gonna be so strange for some people, but the biological um, exclusionary tactics used by Carl von Linnaeus and Blumenbach, mm -hmm. where we actually see these two gentlemen create a racial hierarchy yes, yes. and worthiness, right? And so when we talk about racialized hierarchies, all of that is done and it, that work is taken on by Jefferson and some of our other four founders to really justify the practices of exclusion, mm -hmm. um, even the, the, de the defining of um, certain groups of people in, within the context of the United States as non-worthy because mm -hmm. they're not human, mm -hmm. i.e. indigenous populations, um, black enslaved folks um, from Africa. And all of this is done on purpose to one, justify our actions, but two, also as a land grab feature. Mm -hmm. And we've continued to kind of like grow this um, and, and participate in these systems. Mm -hmm. So educational debt comes in to say, no, 
we're not going to hold one group accountable or as the standard mm -hmm. when we all have done things like unknowingly, unknowingly to continue to perpetuate the system that continues to build yeah. on top yeah. of um, those gaps. So educational debt then asks of us to think about what are the systems that are in place, that remain in place, that continue to disadvantage groups of people? Mm -hmm. what, what is our responsibility mm -hmm. in creating yeah. and recreating this system? And how do we go about then paying back the cumulative effects mm -hmm. of exclusion, mm -hmm. of you know, racism, of sexism, mm -hmm. so that we can bring all of our students you know, up, mm -hmm. right? More so than that, achievement gap solely places the responsibility on victimized communities. Yeah, yeah. And we keep using it. We keep using the phrase. It makes me like, ugh. Yeah, well, I mean, language matters. And yes. for so long, we heard things like um, underprepared, um, underrepresented, uh, uh, mm -hmm. under this, under that. And it's very negative. It's a very negative way of framing yeah. it. I listened to a webinar recently um, hosted by the um, AACNU on, on STEM education, and my colleague David Asai from HHMI talked about, um, he, 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 he came up with a, with a new term, and, and I think that the term is peers, which is um, persons excluded from education mm -hmm. to, due to their racial identity, and, and that places the onus then on us to fix those systems that have been and and I would argue in some cases continue to to exclude intentionally Absolutely. or not um, students due to their to their ethnic and racial racial background and so I really I was really I don't know if you if you could tell but I was sitting <laughs> smiling when you started talking about it because I thought okay this is this is the type of conversations we need to have that would that allow us to go beyond the status quo. Absolutely. So, so my question to you then is, how can I in my classroom? What what can I do to continue to agitate um, systems mm -hmm. in a way that 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 helps the students, um, help all students really. And also, I, I work in an institution and, and I have to, to um, respect, I guess, policies within the institutions. Absolutely. And so, while I may want to decolonize the syllabus, mm -hmm. I have to follow guidelines where I have to give a syllabus that is very much, um, that's, that's standardized. Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so there's a couple of ways to go about doing this. Um, when I when I speak primarily about disrupting systems, um, I want to just pull on like B.J. Love for a minute. Um, so Barbara J. Love, who talks about how within the system we all work to continue and whether whether we're disadvantaged or we benefit from it, because we've been socialized in a way to not want to deal with the consequences. Like if you step outside and do this unique thing within your classrooms and it doesn't meet policy, then you're penalized for it. If, if you are constantly agitating and advocating for things to happen in, you know, for example, physics education, 
that does not align with our conceptualization of physics or who can be a physicist mm -hmm. or the application of physics, then you're punished for it. Some of those ways may be monetarily, some of them you like might be isolated, you, your scholarship not, may not be as well respected. But then there's other ways, right? So you could be the troublemaker on campus. What I'm advocating for when I say that all classes can be student success yeah. is one, the first thing is we need to be self-aware. Right, right. Right. So what are the assumptions that I bring into the classroom? Mm -hmm. Who do I assume that this content is for? Who do I assume needs this content? And that really gets us down to interrogating the politics of what has been taught about who can be a scientist and who can be a doctor and who should probably do trades. Right. Mm -hmm. And also interrogating like are all forms of education, are all tracks valuable, or is it just this one track, right? Right, right. And so there's this thing, like, early 2000s, where, like, everyone was like, we gotta be college ready, we gotta be college ready. Mm -hmm. But then there was this other report that came out in, like, 2008, between 2008 and 16, that said, hey, we are so focused on college ready, but we're forgetting that there are other systems in play. Like, we, we need plumbers. Mm -hmm. We need electricians. Mm -hmm. And all of these are viable careers. Right. But I also think that we work within systems that make that make us believe we have to pit one against the other. Mm -hmm. So another thing that we can do in our classrooms is really just saying, What's your goal for taking this class? Mm, mm, you know? Yeah. What are your interests? What's your long-term goal? Why yes. are you sitting in this particular class? And then yes. how can I help you right. in that goal, whether it's professional, personal, or academic? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. And I you know this goes back to something that you you had us work through, which is what is our definition of student mm -hmm. success and does it align with students? And, and, and I mean, I would argue that we don't even know what their definition of student success is. As an institution, as a classroom, it can be very binary. Mm -hmm. You pass or you don't um, the, the, the class, you, the exam. And, and so, um, talk to us why you think it's important to to get the, the student's definition of student success and to align that with with your with your teaching mm -hmm. um, when we invite students into the classroom one of the things is are we inviting the whole student mm. so every part of the student or am I pushing off my definition of success Right. And so if you don't meet my expectation, yeah. then I levy judgments about your ability, why you're here, if you're actually an active student mm -hmm. um, and all of these narratives that we create for students or for behaviors or actions that students may present with. When we fail to like interrogate ourselves and our beliefs about what success is or what a good ideal student looks like what we are essentially doing is closing off parts to a student in our classrooms. Yeah. And so we have this big thing about we want to be inclusive, we want to be inclusive, but we're failing to interrogate the ways about how we are not inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. So we're sitting in classes and we're going over stoichiometry or the physics, the laws of physics, and we're saying, go home and read this book and then come back and be ready to discuss. Yes, yes. What if you've never been taught that? Yeah. What if you don't know how to access the information? Yes. 
I just remember being an undergrad and having this anthropology professor and he said, okay, everyone pause. So let me tell you, like he was so excited about his content, right? And in order to foster a love about, like at, at the time it was like, we had mapped the genome and the politics around why the United States couldn't tell anyone we had finally mapped the genome. He said, this is how you should be reading. Wow. So you go back and you read this first chapter and it says, and it references some something. Then you go back to that chapter and say, okay, what was said? So then when you're reading this paragraph, you have an understanding of the context of why this is so exciting. Yes, yes. No one had ever taught me that. I know. You they know? Don't teach that. Yeah. K through 12, a lot of times, I, I just remember my own, I don't want to like upset anyone. We we're taught about fluency, right. about dibbles. You know, words not, per minute. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But wherein comes like metacognitive thinking around what you are reading? Yeah. How yeah. do we apply this? And I just remember, I've always been a reader. Yeah. I've always been the curious child that gets in trouble mm -hmm. <laughs> because of that curiosity. But this is the first time that anthropology or any of the like sciences was made mm -hmm. open to me, yeah. right? On yeah. how to access the information. Because my degree is in ed leadership. I love everything about education, about the systems, but imagine if I'm having a love affair at the board and I'm filling in pieces of information because I know it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excluding students who don't have the same love, the same study, the same like research that I've done. Mm -hmm. So I can fill in, and even mm -hmm. if I make a mistake, I can fill that in. But how do we teach students? Yeah. So, and I mean, I, I really love the fact that you um, you gave us uh, the uh, say my name say my name exercise and then followed by highlighting mm -hmm. and 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 so talk a little bit about about that exercise and why you chose you know that that mm -hmm. that particular reading and not the you know a literature um, course right um, because education happens in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And we have so many teachers in the world, right? Say My Name, Say My Name comes out in like 97-ish. It was great because it's the first time we have like an all-girl group and they're all black and they're in sync. And even though this group went through, it had like six members or something. The things that were being discussed come right off the heels of like TLC's like sex positivity and, and body positivity, right? Right, right? And so it was very accessible because now you have these four women like saying the things out loud yeah. that no one ever talks about out loud, but mm -hmm. we talk about it in like these underground retention networks, you know, right, right. our friends. So I thought in teaching students how to read, my content area isn't like one specific area. So let's get something that's common that we can use as an example that's mm -hmm. accessible. Mm -hmm. And then going in and like really dissecting mm -hmm. what's really going on mm -hmm. beyond the poppy beat, right? Right. So I chose that song because everyone knows it. Oh, yeah. And if they don't know it, they can make reference to it or they recognize Beyonce. But more so, this is how I used to work with my children. Mm -hmm. Oh, you like this song, but tell me what's going on in the song. How do you know? Give me the evidence. So we know these conversations have been happening a very long time in the same communities we say are not thriving, right? They just didn't call it critical reasoning and, and annotating a text and citing evidence. Mm -hmm. But these are foundations for research. Yes. These are foundations for accessing information yes. beyond me standing and delivering saying, okay, 
or even in our assessment where I give like the like high school study guide version, mm-hmm. I want students, no matter where they are, to be able to look at a text, access it, annotate it, read it, and be able to have a like a, make a cogent argument about it. Mm. It's not enough to be like, I like this. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me why. Mm-hmm. What's going on in it? Additionally, I follow that up with a highlighting activity. Usually I teach them how to use a highlighter and critically read at the same time. But the highlighter is the most overused and underutilized learning tool. Yeah. And mainly because we're making like rainbows. Right, right. In yeah. books. If I can teach you how to like really drill down into what's important, yeah. highlight that, yeah. and then make yourself a note in the margins or cite evidence, then what we're doing is we are not only opening up the information, but now I'm preparing you to actually be like, wait a minute, uh-uh, no, 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 no. That, that's not okay. That's mm-hmm. not true. And even in this talking back to the text, we're helping students to like really formulate their ideas around certain subjects, right? So even though a student is silent in the classroom, they have an opinion. Right, right, yeah. 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 Wow, this is wonderful. So if you have one last, um, just a quick strategy that a faculty member who's new to all of this and really cares about their students and their success, one strategy that they can do in their classes that help their students, what, what would you advise? Mm. Um, show them that you're human. Hmm. Show them and tell them about the time you make mistakes. Actually make intentional and unintentional mistakes in your classroom. Wow. Give them space to be like, oh, wait a minute, Dr. Allen, I think that's wrong. I do this all the time, and I tell students all the time, I'm good 65% of the time, but in that 35% where I'm tired, I haven't eaten, like I'm physically like, (laughs) I just need a bed, I'm gonna make mistakes. Mm -hmm. But we're learning community, and we're safe enough for us to be like, okay, I made a mistake, somebody help me fix it. Yeah. So humanize yourself. So reveal your humanity. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's actually, I mean, it goes a long way with students. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. So, well, thank you so much for this. I, I'm always learning so much from you. And to, um, to our listeners, if you have any questions, I will post uh, the information about the Teaching and Learning Center and um, how to get in contact with Dr. Allen. And uh, stay tuned for another session of Teach Learn Pima. Thank you.